Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Fixers with Matt and Tony. I'm Tony. I'm also Tony. No, I'm not. I'm Matt. There it is. Yeah, here on Movie Fixers where we don't just critique a movie, we break it down and we try to build it back up into something better. That is our goal as Movie Fixers. And uh, Matt, why don't you go ahead and introduce what that first movie we're going to we're gonna break down and make better is. Sure, I'm excited. This is our very first episode and we, we made, when we were prepping for this podcast, we definitely made a long list of a lot of movies that could use our touch for fixing. And um, I don't remember how we landed on this, but we landed on our first movie being a, a pretty divisive one. People love it, hate it. Some people, I guess, feel indifferent about it. But we are doing the 2008 masterpiece. Sorry, I'm going to try not to be too um, snarky this podcast, but we're doing the 2008 film Twilight. Yes. Are you excited? (laughs) Oh, well, you know, we've already done it. We've watched it. It's it's happened. Uh, Matt, have you uh, you've seen Twilight a few times, right? I have. I've actually I've seen all of the the Twilight films um, and I've seen probably the first one a couple times. Uh, A little backstory about Twilight, this first film in this series of five films. Uh, Like I said, it was in 2008 when it first came out. It currently has a 5.2 on IMDb, a 49 on the Rotten Tomato meter, and a 72% on the audience score on Rotten Tomato. It has to date grossed $392.5 million at the box office. And what else? Oh, yeah, it's uh, it's based on a series of books, like I said, by Stephanie Meyer. The first book came out in 2005. There's four books total in the series with some tie-in books that have all sold over 100 million copies it's it's obviously a popular movie. People like it. People showed up. People spent their money. People watched it. Yeah. A um, couple things I could add to that is the this movie is the first film in the, or the only film in the Twilight franchise not to receive a Razzie Award nomination. The Razzies are an award show for like worst movies. Right. And uh, see that little, to me says this one's fixable because it yeah. didn't get a Razzie. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, you know, you, you were the one who kind of suggested saying that it had potential, and I was skeptical, but uh, I'm, I'm not as skeptical now, now that we, we've gone ahead and done this. I think this is going to be a good first podcast and a good first movie to fix. Oh, yeah, I agree. I um, Well, let's just, before we keep going, let's do a quick, I'll give a quick summary of the film um, so that on the off chance anybody listening to this that doesn't isn't at least passingly familiar with what we're talking about gets has some like groundwork to start with uh the movie features bella swan who's a high school age student who moves at the beginning of the film from phoenix arizona to move in with her father in forks washington washington yes forks Forks, washington it's this kind of gloomy cloudy rainy place obviously in washington uh she moves in with him because her mom wants to travel with her i guess Boyfriend? Like, no, something it's her like new that. husband. Her mom's new husband, they just got married, is um, a triple-A baseball player, and he has to travel, and Bella kind of decides that, so her mom and her stepdad can kind of like build on this new marriage. She's just going to go spend some time with her dad. Uh, yeah, it's actually one example in the movie of Bella like thinking about somebody else and you know mm-hmm. caring about somebody else's feelings, which is like, I wish we had like a little ding sound effect for for this sort of thing. But anyway, she moves out there and um, feels like an outcast at first, but which is sort of weird. I don't want to get into it right now. Anyways, she Mm. uh, pretty quickly meets this character, Edward Cullen, who's kind of a weird 
you know, different character who treats her in kind of a different way. And as the he's yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. But anyways, as the story moves along, we find out things about Edward in the town. And Edward is from a family of vampires. She never seems remotely (laughs) freaked out about that at all. And um, yeah, they strike up around the, the, the gist of the movie is it's this this young teenage romance with a human girl and a vampire and the obvious complications. Right. And I almost said vampire boy, but it's it's really important to point out that he is a 90 some odd year old man in reality. But well, also hundred something. Um, maybe he's a hundred. I mean, this is where people listening to this podcast are going to be like, no, he is 102 years old. Get your facts straight. Right. No, it's important. The point is he's an older Mm -hmm. man in a young, like 17 year old boy body. But uh, there's some other complications, namely some. Uh, the Cullens are like good vampires, like you might consider like vegetarian vampires. They only eat like animals instead of people, that sort of thing. But yeah, of they course, they call themselves vegan. I really like that description. Oh, I, I didn't catch that in the many viewings I've yeah. had of this movie. Anyways, they- but the com- one complication that arises is some other vampires who are more like your traditional kill people and eat them. Vampires come through town and there's this whole storyline about how Bella smells really good. And um, we'll get into that later as well. But uh, yeah, that's the gist of the story is it's a teenage romance with vampires. Oh, there's also werewolves, but we don't really get into a lot of that in the first movie. So we won't need to talk about it much. The movie is definitely setting up a bigger story. But sure, for sure. I I think the suffering is and that's why it feels like you didn't like finish it. There's there's a bit of a fight with those vampires. You're right. But there isn't really like a full on kind of conclusion to this film and i think no. that's something that we could i fix. mean it ends on a note that yeah i agree with you there and i actually have some thoughts as we get into this about how it could have better set up the other films in the franchise because again i've seen all of them at this point mm-hmm. and i know where they're going with the story and i have some really good ideas for that that i'm super excited to talk about um something i want to any touch other on real quick go for, go if, ahead if any may, other first yeah. impressions yeah, well, I just wanted to let the audience know, I think I could say this for both of us, we haven't read the books. Like, nope. I have people who are fans of this, and this this Twilight series has a big fan base, which it, it's important to point out. You know, there there's some legit fans of the books, the movies, both, um, but I have not read the books. I've read the first chapter of the first book, it wasn't for me. Um, I feel like I probably should have given it more of a chance, but I didn't. And so anything that we don't understand in this movie that may be due to, because it was mentioned in the books and not here, like we're going to kind of come down on a little bit because I feel like a lot of times, uh, one of my first impressions was, is wow, I, f- I, I have to assume that a lot of what they're doing is because it was in the book and it was really popular with the fans. And this is just like a nod, but it felt like it was really distracting if you hadn't read the books or you were just, you were really lost a lot of times in this movie. That's a really good point. And this is a good time to point out if you have read the books and we talk about something and you're like, no, they totally talk about that in the books. Honestly, go ahead and tell us. I wouldn't mind knowing the answer to some of these things. But I I, I do. I'm with you. I think part of the job of a movie, especially an adaptation, Mm -hmm. is to to fill in those gaps for people that maybe haven't read the books. Like Mm -hmm. the an adaptation still has to work on its own merit, which is why I'm excited that our first film in this series is an adaptation that we haven't read the source material. So it gives us a chance to really just kind of treat the movie as its own movie and not be bogged down by, well, in, you know, the book, Edward was actually seven feet tall 
And <laughs> yeah, or, nah, I'm just kidding. So, um, well, before we get said, into the full on breakdown, just some initial like, what was your first impression? I know you you you've known people, and obviously, like, I think we, I don't. Our listeners probably don't know this, but we worked at Blockbuster around the time the movie came out, so we've got a lot of like stigma attached to it. But having just watched the movie on its own merit, um, what were your uh, like initial just kind of gut reactions to it? Um, well, I definitely felt like it was longer than it was. Uh, <laughs> that, that's that's sort of the first one, and I'm, I don't mean to be mean. It was just the way this movie was made. You know, like I'd, I'd pause or something because I'm taking notes so we can do this podcast. I'd hit pause and the little timer would come up and I'd be like, it's only been 15 minutes. Or I'd see that an hour has gone by and that there's yeah. another hour left. And I was I just. Ha- I had that same experience, to be very honest. I watched it uh, the night before you watched it. And I remember I was taking copious notes and I paused it. The first time I paused it, I re- it was I think it was right at the 15 minute mark. And I'm like, what? And then the next like time I paused it for real. It was only like an hour into the movie and I'm like, oh, my God, I've seen this movie a few times and I don't remember it being quite this long. Right. And I'd seen it once when it first came out and I'd forgotten like all of it. And I kind of get why now, because there is a lot that could be that just doesn't need to be there. But that said, uh, the other impression I had was how surprised I was. You talk about the stigma when this movie came out. And I agree there was one having kind of watched it with Twilight being like kind of under the radar now it's 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 old news i i didn't i didn't remember how much actually kind of worked in this story or had potential which is why my skepticism about us being able to break this down is is gone away i'm like oh no you're right there is there's a lot of good stuff here possible good stuff here it just for me it really fell apart at the end because there wasn't much of one Right. And I am. Um, I took yeah. most of my notes in the first like 15, 20 minutes and in the last 15, 20 minutes. The yeah. middle of the movie is I mean, it's OK. It's 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 a decent enough teenage romantic tale. It's just the setup has a lot of issues, I think. And the as you said, sort of lack of con- conclusion. But um, overall, I, I think I enjoyed it more than I didn't enjoy it this viewing, I think partly because I was watching it from a critical point of view and I kept getting really excited because I'm like, Oh, I just realized if, if they would just do this, like this would, this would work so much better. And mm-hmm. it was kind of fun looking at all the puzzle pieces before me and, and, and thinking about how I'd like to rearrange them and whatnot. So yes. it was nice. Some. It's nice that we're doing this movie what, a whole decade or more after it came out? What did I say? It came out in 2008. So we're, we're doing this movie an entire decade since it came out. We've mm-hmm. gotten, like you said, some distance from the initial like hype and stigma and preconceptions. And we're just kind of talking about the movie as it is. Right. So that said, should we uh, should we start breaking it down? Absolutely. Let's let's get into the breakdown. OK. So what I think we should start with is I've got like a list here of all the things that I thought were good or almost worked or could have worked like the the positive elements of the film. And if you don't mind, I'd like to list those out. Go for it. You want to just like bullet point these or do you want to talk about them one at a time? I've got a list of the good as well. My list is about six items, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't mind talking about them a little bit more. Well, let me let me hit mine. Because I've got sure. a few more and see if see how many of ours cross-reference. So 
the first thing I liked or thought was when was like starting out to be really good was when Bella started becoming like the investigator. She realizes there's something up with Edward. And she wants to know more about him. So she starts researching on the internet. She starts putting pieces together. That starts out really well and gives her something to do. So I liked that. The The other things I liked are the small town setting. I thought that was a great, like, just random place to pick. And it was unique. And it kind of, like, boasts, like, interesting things can happen in, in small places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really liked her dad, that character, Charlie. Just he's, he's a different type of father figure. He's He's been out of her life or not been involved in her life very much up until she's a junior now. Uh, he, he'd see her like sometimes for a little bit, and obviously there was a following out, falling out. And yeah. he feels guilty. There's some sort of guilt. So he's kind of like – and he's also not really good at expressing himself. So his parenting style is – quieter less involved he's less invasive on her but you can tell there's like a guilt and a desire to want to be more and it's like he kind of sh- like that's a really believable and relatable character so i thought he was spot on and the actor did a good job with him and i agree i actually want to interject here because we are we are kind of overlapping a bit um i made a note that the father character whose name i can't remember right now uh charlie charlie's his mm-hmm. character name um he's definitely a really sympathetic character. Uh, he never, he's one of the few characters that doesn't really play as a cliche to me. He, like he felt pretty genuine. And I made a note as well that this, the father daughter relationship in general, I thought was the most interesting part of the movie and, and, and closest to like a realistic relationship. And I, not to get skip ahead, but I think developing that more would have really built a better movie. But on the subject of the father, another thing I pointed out was I really liked Anna Kendrick. A lot of the secondary Mm -hmm. characters, a lot of the secondary actors I thought were well cast in this movie. I really like uh, the Cullen father. I can't remember all their names, but the the dad, the Dr. Cullen. Um, I don't like all the Cullens, but like most of them I liked quite a bit. A lot of the secondary characters I think really work for me in this movie, even when they're playing like Anna Kendrick, who I think is just more talented than than most people did the best she could, I think, with a mm. role that was very cliche, very tropey. It's funny um, you say that. I made a note that all of the human students had a very exaggerated immaturity, like to the point where I, I think it was intentional. Like, it, it could just be these are just really dopey characters or one-note characters. But I, I, I want to believe, I want to say that they did extremely... They did this on purpose so that when Bella sees the vampires in the vampire world, it's it's so much deeper than just this basic high school. And that was kind of their way of showing that quickly. Like, the high school world was very empty, very immature, very hollow. And the vampire world was very you know, complex because, because there is some like complex vampire lore that's in this movie that I thought was. Actually oh yeah. Well, and, really and we good. don't even, we don't even really scratch the surface of it in this first movie. Um, See, I know I like in that. the, in the, in the later movies, that whole vampire lore gets really expanded, expanded. And I think they did a good job in this first movie of giving us just that initial, um, taste of the lore kind of like in in a, in a small way sort of like fellowship of the rings did for the lord of the rings film like those that first film gave you a lot honestly but it really wasn't until the second film that they started like tripling the amount of characters and locations mm-hmm. and like things just got a lot more complicated this was a good i mean for the for this world for this this twilight world this was a pretty good setup film overall yeah. That said, we definitely, I think, both agree there are things they could have done different. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a couple more goods 
unless you want to keep talking about some of yours. Uh, yeah, the other, just kind of pulling on, on the vampire lore, the other thing I liked was the life of the Cullens, their home, how mm-hmm. the kids have to repeat school, uh, the fact that they, they do refer to themselves as vampire vegans because they don't eat humans. I thought that mm-hmm. was just, that was witty. And I loved uh, how they play baseball in the thunderstorm because they hit the ball <laughs> so hard that it makes thunder claps. And I was like, it, it's, it's those little power moments, like here, sure. here's their abilities, those things that are just different that I thought were creative. And I was like, Oh, that's a yeah. good bit. It, the, the baseball scene plays a little silly, but it's also, it's fun. Like I'm, right. I'm not opposed to having fun in a movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, a couple other things I had listed under my good. Um, I think the, the opening is actually pretty solid. I like the visual dichotomy of Phoenix versus, um, forks. forks. I like yeah. that visual. Yeah. Did I, what did I say? You said did I say forks. forks? Okay. Uh, that, yeah, that visual dichotomy, I think, really works well of showing, like, how much her life is changing. Um, and I this is something I remember saying the first time I saw the movie, and I'm going to say it again after this, whatever, sixth time I've seen this movie. It has a really great soundtrack. Like, that first music cue when she's leaving mm-hmm. Phoenix is really good. Um, something to point out that I think even maybe some fans don't know, probably only a few of them, but Robert Pattinson actually has a couple of songs on the soundtrack and and he's got a great voice to be honest he didn't know Um, they were gonna do that somebody heard him somebody else in the film heard him and then recorded him and then added that i did not know that that's a neat little tidbit but yeah i just overall gonna have music in it till the screening i remember when i saw this film i actually i got the soundtrack and to date i still listen to that soundtrack sometimes it's a Mm -hmm. it's one of the strongest elements of the movie in my opinion and last little random fact, this was the only film to feature like music that had already been composed versus all the other films apparently have original composed music from that from going forward. Ah, uh, and you know what? I, as I recall, seeing those other films, it, it kind of makes a difference. Hmm. Well, let's um, I think that's I mean, that's all the like really good standout stuff for me. Anything else before we start breaking down some of the things that didn't quite work? No, no, I think that's that's everything really worth noting. Uh, but yeah, I think we should talk about what what fell flat, like what just did not work at all. And uh, I guess since I started with the other one, I'll let you start off with this. What fell flat for you on this film? Um, well, there's a couple things. Uh, man, I, there's a lot to talk about here. Um, let's see. One of the main things that I think really doesn't work for me is her narration. Um, it kind of is part of a bigger issue to me in this mm-hmm. movie that they talk a lot, whether it's voiceover narration, whether it's characters telling each other expositional things. There's a lot of talk and not enough show in this movie for me. Uh, there's quite a few moments where I felt we could have really seen what they were talking about so much better than them just telling it to us. Um I mean, did you have that impression as well? Oh, yes. Actually, one of my notes for what fell flat was all the VO after the first one. She establishes that she's moving, her relationship with her mother and her relationship with her father, and kind of mm-hmm. how she feels. And as we're just meeting her, I thought that was good because we're kind of seeing her mm-hmm. getting in the car with her mom, getting to her dad's. So I was like, this this works. After I that, actually, I, f- I had a thought about that specifically because you're right. That first narration serves a, mm-hmm. a purpose. Um, I was thinking 
if we, if there's that and there's another moment in the film and I'm looking through my notes to find it, I'll find it in a minute, but there's two, there's that moment and the later moment in the film where I thought to myself, if she had just been writing in a journal or like a diary or even, um, I don't know how current this would have been in 2008, but uh, like a video diary on her cell phone, something like that. It would have accomplished the same effect without having to rely on this constant need to like be in Bella's head. Well, and that's that's the thing. It's like she's talking to the audience directly, and I think it becomes a crutch. Well, it definitely becomes a crutch because in the middle of the movie, she's using it to explain how she feels. And I f- that that's that's a crutch. We should be seeing that in the film, and we kind of don't. Yeah. Oh, I, I made a note here. She said when she first she has her first day of school. The voiceover says, "My first day of school, middle of March. Great." And I really think that entire sentiment could have been taken care of with, you know, obviously it's her first day of school because we see her pulling up and nobody knows who she is. She's lost, you know, doesn't know where her classes are. The guy meets her in the hall to show her where she's going. The middle of March, I think that can be easily shown with, you know, contextual clues from decorations in the school, things of that nature. We, we just don't need this voiceover to tell us how she's feeling we can see how she's feeling. We can see what's going on with her. Right. So, ostensibly, the VO fell flat. Fell flat. It just it didn't work. Her voiceovers. Yeah. She she says at one point she calls herself the suffer in silence type. And I remember <laughs> thinking while I was watching it, I'm like, well, is it really though? Because we're constantly hearing you talk. <laughs> oh, but it's in her head. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also just too much dialogue maybe, in general. Maybe she needs to be more the, vocal of a character. Maybe so. Well, I don't know. I don't even mind her being kind of quiet and and reserved. It really suits her character, but it sort of ruins the effect if we're hearing her like stream of consciousness. The other Mm. thing that was weird about some of the dialogue choices is in the in the cafe uh, when the server comes over and says your favorite Barry Cobbler. Remember, as if she has like amnesia or something. It's weird the way the townspeople treat her like. She's just woken up from a coma or something. Well, she supposedly was the last time she was out there. She was four, so she was. I think everybody was kind of expecting her to not. I mean, she's like a junior, so that's sixteen, mm-hmm. seventeen. You know, that was a that was a while ago. Yeah, but yeah, yeah it's a bit unnecessary. Less is more, I think, in both the voiceover mm-hmm. and the dialogue in this movie. It could have used an extra, you know, draft of of oh, just kind of omitting dialogue, some dialogue. Yeah. Sorry, you, you talk about that, and that got me thinking of just the gobs of expedi- exposition they give you that also at the same time doesn't really explain anything. Do you have an example? Um, so once he, once she figures out he's a vampire, like after that, um, and I've noticed this a lot, one of the other things they do to hide the exposition, they do lots of camera panning and spinning and moving because the characters aren't going and moving that much, so the camera decides to move. But the other thing they do is they cut up exposition by jumping locations. They, like, scene jump. So they'll be talking about him being a vampire in one place, like at the school, and then they'll be walking along this, because it's the woods and stuff, walking out in the woods, still having the conversation, and then they'll be over by the beach, and I'm just like, oh my, they're just like, I get it, they're walking everywhere, but it's just so disjointing, and then kind of the information he's giving is, is like an, exp- it, it's, it's just not very helpful. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. So. Well, it feels, it feels so explainy to the mm-hmm. audience anyway. And I did, it doesn't seem natural. It doesn't seem natural that he would just 
pour out all these things. Like it, it would seem natural for him to say maybe a couple things, but mm. there's so much that that in the real life we learn mm. from experience. And I think in these movies, there's so many things that he talks about when he's describing that vampire life that we could have just experienced and been like, oh, that's how that works or, oh, that's what they do here. It's important to note, this is all that's happening. I mean, there's technically another story happening, but they never focus on that. So all we're really doing is learning about vampires. That's kind Mm -hmm. of what the story becomes in the middle. And that's why you're kind of just phasing out because a good chunk of this movie is them getting, I say getting to know each other. They're... You never really get to know much about Bella that isn't explained at the beginning. Sure. I mean, as far as protagonists well, go, I have a... No, keep going. You there? Yep. You're, you're cutting out, though. Sorry, you cut... Yeah, sorry, you cut out too. Okay, sorry for the cutout. We'll edit that out. Um, Maybe, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Um, What was the last thing you were saying? Uh, I was just saying that Bella doesn't really grow in any sort of, like, typical protagonist uh, point. I actually asked myself the question in the notes, is is she really the protagonist? Because... there's not much of a change to her. I say there, 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 you can find a change in her at the end, but it happens really quickly. I feel like for most of this movie, it's like you're watching it from the perspective of the damsel in distress. Yeah. I actually have some notes about that as well, about the whole damsel in distress thing. Um, before we get to that, though, let's can we talk a little bit about just their first meeting, our two main characters, their meet cute, so to speak? In the uh, biology class? Yeah. Yeah. So you wanna, yeah, go it ahead was and just, explain that. Well, why don't you it give was, like, a little um, bit of feedback of how it ha- how you saw it happen? Sure. So um, when Bella first goes to the school, um, one I, who knows if it's her first class. I, one of the first classes she goes to is the science biology class. And as she walks in the door, she sees Edward, who looks at her with this kind of really creepy look. And she looks at him, right? The first of many of these creepy looks. She looks at him and she's got this kind of interested look on her face like, oh, hey, cute boy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you see the fan behind her, like the electric fan Mm -hmm. um, kind of clearly in March. Yeah. Blow her like smell, her scent, her pheromones her whatever Mm -hmm. it is at at um. I missed Edward. Edward. Yeah, I missed that. I didn't get that's what happened at first. I just thought they were oh, trying yeah. to be I thought they were trying to be cute and like like make a joke. Like it's doing like movie style, her hair is blowing in the background kind of thing. And I was like, haha, that's kind of funny and not the No, tone there was of this some movie. very there's a lot of purposeful framing in this scene. There's also if you if you look behind Edward at one point, there's a stuffed taxidermied owl with big broad white wings. And it actually the, the owl moves around a lot because the director wanted to frame it so that he had these like very angelic looking wings in all of the shots in this. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> wow. But my, how did I miss my, that? Yeah. And it's honestly, I think it's really heavy handed, but I, I kind of get what they were going for. My problem with this is this is in the actor's performances. And this is where I don't know if it's the director saying, this is what I want this. If, if it's the actors making these choices, um, 
I, I know from talking to people about the source material, I know what's going on here. I mean, the movie even says it more or less like she smells amazing to him as a vampire. He wants to straight up eat her because that's his natural tendency, but but he's also expand on that either. They don't. But, and also the way they visually show this, it's absolutely ridiculous. Like he struggles with this look on his face as if he's like, holding in a fart or something. (laughs) No, and and I I don't feel like I'm exaggerating this at all. That's exactly what he looks like. And he's like grabbing his pants and it's like, are you suppressing like, yeah, but like very melodramatic, very over Mm -hmm. the top, not in any way that, that, that signifies any realism at all. I mean, I've, yeah, this movie doesn't really shoot for a lot of realism though. I got to say, and I don't know if that's good or bad, but, Yeah, I guess the whole thing wants to be over the top. You're right that it was it was distracting was what I thought is I was it's I was it's weird how they go for like subtlety in some places and then like ridiculousness in others. But I his his and that you're like we said a second ago, that's the first of many really kind of weird stalkery, creepy looks that he gives her and what I get is that we're supposed to read this interaction, read these, these two characters as having this initial, um, you know, love at first sight kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But so is that what I didn't get that out of that scene? I, maybe that's what was happening. I, I do know about, like you said, about having friends that tell you about the source material. The whole thing in the book is also very like, heavy handed with the drama in the sense that he, all of the emotion he was feeling. And I think he was, they basically wanted him to act out that same level of emotion that's in the book in that scene in the movie. And it just doesn't translate well. Yeah. And the other thing that falls apart for me is they make it a, a, make it clear later in the film that while he looks like a 17 year old boy, he's in fact, you know, 90 something, possibly a hundred something. We're not entirely sure of his age at this point. And I understand Excuse me. I understand the point that's been made to me by some of the book fans that, you know, he still goes to a high school. He still deals with teenagers. He still lives that life. But he's also got, you know, a hundred years of life experience behind him. It it seems so strange to me that he acts the way he does, considering how old he actually is. Mm -hmm. And and this kind of plays into one of the other things I felt, I think, fell flat flat for the movie was I have no idea what Edward's motivations are, because throughout this movie, he is he he, he's talking about how enthralled he is with Bella, but then also how he needs to not be in her life because he's so horrible while constantly being the one to pursue her. Like he keeps showing up again, then going, I just couldn't stay away. But then having the watching her sleep, which the movie acts like is kind of like a weirdly romantic thing, but no, that's that's just creeper. There's so many moments. I think what we're, what we're getting at here, I think the thing that all of this is sort of tying to is mm -hmm. the tone was a little off when it comes to their relationship. It's clear to me what they're going for. They're going for this like, yeah, they're going for this timeless romance between, you know, a teenage girl and I guess a hundred year old vampire. They're going for this like romance thing that Mm -hmm. feels so stalkery. And then to make matters worse, Bella and again, I don't know if in the book this is portrayed different. I, I could certainly hope it is. But in the movie, anyways, she is so easy 
to like she should be scared. I think she should well, be genuinely terrified of him. He calls her out, right? On but that she's twice. not. But she just keeps saying to him over and over again, "I'm not scared." Um, as the movie goes on, she says, "I could what you know? I I just want to be with you." Their relationship is so, uh, especially really as it goes on, on it's anything. very. What's so codependent and kind of an unhealthy right. um, relationship. Oh, I, I so I think by the end of the movie, it is not a relationship. It's obsession, like her actual behavior by the and it kind of one is like after the whole fight with the murderous vampires. And he's mm-hmm. like, see, I, I really do have to stay out of your life. Like there's a conflict for Edward in the sense that he's crazy about Ella, Ella, Ella Bella, but he knows he's not good for her. I mean, her conflict isn't really, it's just, I guess, trying to keep him or get to know more about him. The other thing is, I mean, they set Bella up as being very insecure in the beginning, which is why when she thinks he's repulsed by her, her smell, I was really happy that she, you know, thought, well, how dare he? And then was going to go confront him because, I mean, he's trying to get out of this biology class and she finds Mm -hmm. out and she's really offended. Like, you know, like you would. Like, oh, geez, what did I do to this guy? But... You know, she confronts him, but that's one of the few times she takes action. And then after she confronts mm-hmm. him, she kind of wilts. And again, it's early in the movie, so she should, you know, theoretically get stronger. But that was, she never takes any sort of action after that. Things sort of happen around her. I think she does a little bit of research and figures out he's a vampire, and then he tells her. And then I think even that kind of gets mooted by him because he tells her. Like, he's realized she's figured out, and then he just admits it. And then from then on, she's, she's kind of just being drugged through the rest of this movie and she has no no like she just wants to be with him and now she's with him but she's like i don't i don't know what what is her goal right um that actually so backtracking a bit i want to talk about my first fix for this movie um i talked a little bit about how she should have been more scared um Mm -hmm. you talked a second ago about these other vampires being threatening. Cause something we haven't mentioned again for anybody who hasn't seen this movie is there's these other vampires that have come through town. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're eating people, they're killing people. And the movie sort of makes a half-assed attempt at the very beginning to make you question like, Ooh, is it Edward? Is it him? Yeah. But it very, very quickly sh- just straight up shows you that it's these three other people. I think one of the biggest fixes we could have done in this movie is leave that mystery open, show these killings happening, show that have her questioning Edward and his intentions and all that, but still wondering like, are these him? Because her father is the sheriff. So we're seeing and hearing Mm -hmm. about these, these gruesome, you know, they're called animal killings at the beginning. Um, but then, you know, it's, it's revealed that there's a, a bare footprint. And I want to point out that according to the captions, that meant like a no shoe, not like the animal, the grizzly bear, (laughs) but, um, yeah, there this mystery like if Edward was a little more of this like mysterious character that was mm-hmm. you know conveniently absent at times when these things were happening so that we're as an audience and Bella as a character are questioning like oh my god is this him is this him and it just would have been such a more satisfying reveal when and you could have incorporated these other vampires into like people in town that you think are there for some other reason. Right. And then it's revealed that they're, in fact, these vampires. And then Bella is now in danger. And this person, Edward, that she hasn't been trusting his true intentions is, in fact, has, in fact, been on her side the whole time and as a trustworthy person. Also, the the Cullen family who ends up being at her aid. 
right. towards the end again. So, so in, you said that we didn't, we haven't talked about this much up until now, and the reason for that is, is the movie doesn't talk about this. You see the first murder, you see the second murder, like you see the first murder fifteen minutes in. I marked that. About another fifteen minutes in, you see the second murder, and this one's a friend of Bella's father. So that one has a little bit of impact. So now it feels like there should be some stakes in the game, but they just keep dropping it to keep going to them going out and like sort of swooning out. over each other. There and are so him, many times him making just, these really pained grimaces about oh how they really shouldn't be together, but, but he can't up. stay away from her. And it's like, there's this whole interesting story going mm-hmm. on in town and we're not seeing it because we're focused on this other thing. It would have made their romance story so much more interesting if there was this intrigue, this this mystery of his true intentions. Do you remember? And again, the, he just keeps saying what his intentions are. Right. And, and we're then, just like, OK, well, that's that's what it is, because that's what they said. But everything he says, if you just take the dialogue and even the way he delivers, it sounds so creepy. Like that is not yeah. how you should talk. To yeah. a person you care about, even though when he he rescues her, at one point she's walking down. It it goes from day to night really fast. She's out in town. It goes from day to night really fast. Now all of a sudden she's alone, about to go down an alley. Sees these guys from before, and then backs off. But they follow her, and they're basically going to do uh, bad things. Oh, we know they're going to do bad things because one of the things we forgot to mention, but it comes up a lot, is Edward can read minds. Every vampire seems to. Some vampires seem to have different abilities, and his is mind reading. So he knew right. they were up to no good, uh, you know, starting to make trouble in the neighborhood, if you will. And he shows up because <laughs> he's been kind of stalkering her. Thank you, I like that. And he, uh, he, he kind of scares him off. He doesn't even like beat him up. He just, he just kind of looks at him, and they get some impression that there's something messed up about him. You know, five drunk, you know, hillbillies suddenly just not going to even mess with him. I thought, wow, that's kind of a let down. But then he gets, you think, okay, so he's done something heroic, but he starts getting really creepy again. He's all like growling, getting angry. He's like, you need to talk to me so I don't go back there and rip them apart like I want to. And I'm like, like, that's like Anakin Skywalker in Attack of the Clones creep. I had there. that exact thought at one point. I'm like, oh, my God, does he hate sand, too? Like, <laughs> it, 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 are there he, women he that very find that Anakin. sexy? I, I mean, that's an honest question. I don't mean to judge. Maybe but so. If, Maybe if the so. guy is like, vi- like, we're not talking like a vengeful, you know, Prince Charming heroic. We're talking like venomously, violently, like going to kill somebody. Sure. Yeah. Wow. I was just like, No. And, and so again, yeah. we've already gotten off the murders because they're not gonna, they're not going to come back till the end and all it is is so they can get a scent of Bella and now there's new conflict because mm-hmm. the conflict was done. They were in a relationship. she's hanging out with the family. everybody's for the most part getting along and to wrap up this movie, we had to create a whole new conflict with these I, I feel like that maybe should have come in a lot sooner, but yeah, in the end was executed poorly. So to be clear, this conflict is these vampires coming through town, right? Mm-hmm. And they've they 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 just come upon the Cullens playing this baseball game in a thunderstorm, and of course Bella's there because she's a part of the family now or whatever, mm-hmm. and they want to join in, and the Cullens are like, "Well, this is kind of our territory, but you know, you guys should move along." Well, one of them catches a scent of Bella. And again, the movie just continually tells us that she smells amazing. I'm sure it's Dior or some amazing fragrance. And um, yeah, so that's the new conflict is we've got to get her away because Edward says something to the one guy. What's his name? James, I think, is the name of that vampire. Yeah. And he takes it as like a personal challenge to get at Bella. So now all of a sudden it's red alert, all hands on deck. We got to protect Bella. 
and everything gets turned upside down and she doesn't obviously want to leave. But he's like, I'm going to drive you away somewhere. She's like, I want to go talk to my dad first. She and everything just does kind of, whatever he says, though, in the end, like she, she tries she, to argue, no, I don't want to leave. He's like, no, you should. And then she just sort of quietly becomes complicit. There's no more discussion. about sh- it. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, and you're actually I don't know if we want to get to it yet, but you're coming up on my my next and final like fix for this film. Oh, OK. Um, one thing I want to touch on then about that, I I, I feel like, again, just fell flat was You talk about this James vampire, and the whole idea is that he just loves the hunt, and he loves the hunt to be unique and different. And I can, it just made me think. You know, we really don't know what it is the all these vampires really like, or what their deal is in the sense that what what drives them. I had to start pulling from like other resources. Like I've read Interview with a Vampire. I like the movie, but one of the things that those vampires had trouble with was boredom. They're eternal, and they just they have. what are they doing? It's like eventually mm-hmm. it all becomes listless to them. And I'm like, do these vampires feel the same way? I feel like we're not really touching on that, but maybe we are when we see like this crazy vampire like James who is like made up rules for hit, how he's going to hunt humans and which ones he's going to select. And if it's something interesting, boy, he's going to go at it like a feral dog. Like, yeah, you make a good point. They're they're inherently the villains of this movie. Mm-hmm. And we don't we know very little to nothing about them, about their intent, about their background. Mm-hmm. We don't even know, like, are they baby vampires? Uh, like, have they, did they just get turned well, a week ago? Turns out to are they be better? Like he sort of backs up and says, hey, I'm not hanging out with these sure. two anymore. They're they're crazy. It's like, well, why? Like <laughs> they're could, crazy. <laughs> like, could we could we see more of their I would have liked to have seen more of them maybe and got to know them as the yeah. know, quote unquote. Physical and I villains. suspect I suspect this isn't a situation where the books might have given more backstory to these characters. Maybe. Um, so maybe as far as, um, you know, the Cullen, especially like Papa Cullen, Daddy Cullen, He's old. He's an old vampire. He's mm-hmm. been around for a little bit. Um, not as old as some of the vampires you meet in the later films, but he's been around for a bit. And I have a feeling the vampire community is not exactly huge, right? A lot of them probably know each other or at least of each other. And I'm sure James and these other two vampires have shown up in the newsletter. And it would be interesting <laughs> if if they had some sort of information or maybe if they didn't even have information specifically about these vampires, but if like these vampires were part of some like uh, rogue gang of vampires and they were wearing some sort of necklace that showed that or yeah. some brand the Cohen family has a crest they wear. They do. And it seems like that's something common in a lot of vampire mythologies is, you know, when you Packs. live for a long, long time, then you you tend to pack together. Mm-hmm. And it would be interesting if we knew just a little bit more about these these uh, these yeah. wandering vampires. Let me ask you something. I'm going to jump a little bit because you talk about the uh, the Cullen family and just this is more about vampires in general. What did you think of the uh, the vampire like powers effects? Uh, specifically, and they sort of stopped doing this halfway through the movie, but, like, they would vibrate. Like, they're supposed to move really fast, so they would kind of be shaky-looking. Oh, I I don't know that I caught the vibrating thing. I do have more than a few notes in my my notebook here about how the fast motion, like, the running super fast. Yeah. um, The effect doesn't look good. No, um, not at all. And it's frankly, it's kind of overused. I remember the moment it felt really overused to me was there's a part where um, they pull up in front of the Cullen house. He mm. gets out the driver's and side he, and he, he runs fast around runs around fast. to the other. And it's like, really, was it that much faster than just kind of like 
jogging three steps around well, the car. That's, that's the joke. The the effect it doesn't actually make it look like they're going faster. Right. Well, and then the effect when he like picks her up in the woods and is like running her mm-hmm. looks so goofy. Oh, yeah. no. And it's like, I don't it know. It's one of those things that if you're going to so do it, maybe then do it the and make do. it look good. Well, and this movie didn't have a huge budget. There were a lot of things they wanted to do that didn't because of budget constraints. But I will say, that's, I, I that's enjoyed true. the wire work. It was wire the first work. film in the series. The wire work when they jump around, it was a little stagey, but I thought it was fun. Sure. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree with you on that. I think it the only effect that really... Because honestly, even... I know everybody gave the whole glitter skin effect a lot of grief. But I didn't even... I thought it was a little under stated compared to what it could have been. I think it had no consequence. I thought when he stepped out in the light, if he actually, like she's looking up researching all these vampires in lore and stuff. And it's all these old pictures of demonic looking creatures. Like what if that was the consequence? What if he kind of like Buffy, Buffy vampires out when he stands in the sun, you know, like, I mean, it definitely would have been a lot more interesting and make, yeah, it would, it, it would have made it a little bit more of a, a conflict. <laughs> like she's got to see through the facade or see through the face and and love mm-hmm. the person within. But I mean, she doesn't know anything about him. So how can she love the person within? All she knows is he saves his, saves her life a bunch and stares at her real creepy. Basically, yeah. They don't so, really set that up to be anything more. This, um, yeah, this romance is very. And if that was the point. If the point was that this is actually not a good type of romance and that people, especially impressionable young girls and, you know, possibly boys, but he's not a boy, could get sucked mm-hmm. into this, that this isn't healthy. But it, the whole movie focuses and glorifies on this building relationship. In fact, and this is the last thing I'll say on it, there there are two times when they could be getting to know each other where they're talking to each other, but it's doing like it's they've dropped the audio and it's just doing pans and you know the music kicks up and it's them obviously Oh is this the we were going to have sex but we're not going to so now we're going to sit in bed and kind of that pan was the second time. It also happens in the meadow. It happens in the meadow where she figures everything out and they finally just lie in the meadow and stare. There's so much staring in this <laughs> I movie. I want to point out they lie in the meadow in the most impractical body position. Oh, oh there's so many times where she just kind of like splays herself out. And just looks well, like, and, and I mean, he's I'm, laying with like his body turned one direction, but his head turned another yeah. and his legs like he kind of looks like he fell off a building and that's where his body landed. <laughs> it, it's the vampires. They're really flexible when you become vampires. So you just maybe so. I, mean, I guess they don't have circulation. Yeah, he's been lying down different ways for hundreds of years. He's just trying a new pose. He's like, this is different. You know what? I'll allow that. That makes perfect sense. There you go. I can justify anything. But what I can't justify is how the few times when they could be getting to know each other, we don't get to hear anything. And that to me denotes bad or or a lack of writing skill. It's like you couldn't write a scene there where we could see them connect. You had to drop the, uh, drop the audio, bring up the music and start moving the camera as much as possible to make that look interesting and be romantic. And I was like, okay, so they obviously, I guess, got to know each other, but we didn't get to share in that. And that's really frustrating when the whole movie pretty much cares about their romance to the point where people getting murdered is a secondary story. Right. Exactly. It kind of hinges on that. And again, I think people that may have read the books have some of these conversations, have more of this character development Mm -hmm. that they've like pre invested before seeing it. But as a standalone film on its own merit, they don't develop their relationship well enough at all for you to truly, you know, 
care about their life. I mean, really, my takeaway from their relationship is how just unhealthy and codependent it is. And obsessed and, she gets by the end. And how obsessive it is. Yeah. And it's just that's not a healthy model for a relationship at all. Not at all. Um, I have a I have a couple more things about it. Uh, specific these are this is getting into like fixed territory again. I think but it's I've got time. Two. I think it's time we've really attacked it. I want to hear what your what your fixes are. All right, I've got two fixes that that deal with the end of the movie that I think could have honestly made this a pretty decent film. Uh, the first, and I think this is kind of one of the one of the big ones. Um, Bella needed to be more involved in her own safety and well being, and like. Um, I don't even want to say rescue because if, if she'd been more involved, it wouldn't have been a rescue situation. Right. I think that had Bella and you, the audience didn't have to be in on this at first. This could have been like a reveal. Right. Mm-hmm. But Bella, when, you know, when they go to that hotel and she sees the vision of the dance studio and and all of this, what a great moment for her to take charge of her own like destiny and say, like, all right, well, here's what we'll do. You know, I know I'm new to this group, but I, you know, I love you guys. I feel like a part of this family and, you know, these vampires are, are really a threat to all of us and, you know, our way of life. Here's what we're going to do. And she is instrumental in planning, you know, herself as bait in this dance hall mm-hmm. to, to bring him in. And she just becomes a part of it and not this character that's literally thrown against the wall. No, she's two coerced or three times. The, the, the ballerina hall, the ballerina studio, because he tricks her into thinking the bad guy that he's caught her mom. So she's just been right. duped. She isn't proactive in any way. I agree. It's well, and why, the way that that there? he that he tricks her is with this videotape, <clears throat> which would of have her been dancing VHS tape, as, yeah, from as a girl. Sure, with her mom. It's this videotape of her dancing in this ballet school when she was younger, mm-hmm. which is not introduced at any point in the film. So it kind of feels like, oh, I guess okay, I guess you had a well, VHS he, tape he that you got from us the house. exposition. He gives us I have an exposition. I have an yeah. idea for that. I think it would have been really neat. If earlier in the film, when she first arrives at Charlie's house, he says something about, do you remember when you were younger and you used to play here? And she Mm. says something about, you know, they they kind of again, they talk about this thing, but we don't see it. It would have been a neat time to have like a flashback scene of her as a little girl dancing, Mm -hmm. something like that. So that when this video of her later as a young girl dancing shows up, you're like, oh, how clever that he got that instead of. All right, I guess you had this thing. I think it was kind of a weak de- plot device, though, because what he actually does with this video, for the people who haven't seen it, is it, her mom's recording in this video and talking to her, but at one point looking for her. So she says sure. in the video, Bella, Bella, where are you? And Which makes uses, you wonder, did he go to the house and like no, go did, through he, he all did. of he their VHS that. tapes? He gives he gives a really long dial, diatribe about how he was waiting for her to come home, going through her stuff, saw that tape, decided... But, you know, to use that tape to make her think he had her mom because he just uses that bit. But this is a VHS tape and it's, you know, presumably 2008 now. And or it wasn't VHS. It was like mini whatever. It was it was a tape. Like there's no way that the quality of that, even over a phone, is going to sound believable. And and she is supposed to believe. So she's in Phoenix again. She is her mom. We've already established is in was it Jacksonville, Florida. This hunter vampire who, yes, is very fast. His A got to follow her there, but B stopped to pick up. Oh, no. He said that her mom came home because she called her. That's what it was. Never mind. Sorry. I'm going to drop that. Either way, I think the point is it It was was kind of a cheap mechanic. Mm. And most importantly, it did not involve her at all. Had she been the one to help plan this? If she had even said, you know, we led the audience to believe that she was like, you know what? I, you know, I need to save my mom or do whatever. So I'm going to go anyways. But Mm -hmm. we find out that it was all a ruse that the Cullens were all in on it at, at, from the beginning mm-hmm. 
it just would have made her character less of this like damsel in distress. It's constantly being saved. Like you said, just being yeah, led like through scene to scene. Um, it reminds me a little bit when we did you ever see uh, Jupiter Ascending? No, but I think we should add that to the list. Yeah, we should add it to the list, because another thing in that movie is Mila Kunis's character from the very beginning of the movie is just kind of led from scene to scene to scene with very little, mm-hmm. you know, influence over anything that's happening to her. And I think that's the one of the biggest problems How much in this entire do you film think is because up until we just got Wonder Woman, uh, movies studios have this kind of bent idea that a woman protagonist being like the active protagonist wasn't going to sell. So they only pick films where the woman is, in this case, literally almost led around by the male. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to really answer that. I think there are other movies in a similar vein, like the the uh, Hunger Games movies, where we've got characters that are choosing their own destiny. I mean, even something like Harry Potter, where Hermione's not arguably the main character. She's not like led around. In fact, half the time she's grabbing the boys by the ears and leading them around. Yeah. So I don't know that that's the focal because Bella is definitely the focus character in this story. Sure. Agreed. Even, even though I feel like Edward. So that's one of my fixes. I, I, I created four different pitches, four different types of stories that you could do based with all of the information we have. Uh, and well, I want to hear those, but mm-hmm. le, le, I've got one more thing that all I right. think you're really going to like as well. Um, another thing that would have really reduced the amount of like codependency and, and, and what's arguably like, a soft version of like emotional abuse in this movie between these two lead characters mm-hmm. is in that scene in the hospital after they've survived the whole dance hall thing. And Edward's there, Edward's there faking asleep because, you know, vampires don't sleep or whatever. Edward, yeah. Um, she, you know, he says again for like the 16th time in the movie, like, I'm just getting you hurt. I'm getting the people you love hurt. We really aren't good for each other. You should go to Jacksonville, be with your mom and do whatever, it would have been such a neat moment to me, knowing what comes after this movie, knowing where the things go. like we could even still ultimately end up in the same place in the later films. But if she in that moment had said, you know what, you're right. Mm-hmm. This this isn't healthy. This I, I, I'm getting people hurt. You know, my dad almost got attacked. My mom, I thought was getting attacked. If she had made that decision, say, you know what, you're right. And they just they decided to amicably part in that moment. She could have then gone to the prom to like say goodbye to her friends for the last time before moving to Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And at the dance, she runs into Jacob again and they spark that romance between her and Jacob, which is going to be pivotal in the next film anyways. Right. And we kind of end this first film thinking like, OK, well, the Bella and Edwards of it is actually over and and she's she's actually taken a shine. Uh, you know, that very first little spark, that little you know, ember of a spark for Jacob. Hmm. And that, that keeps that we save the, like the rekindling of Bella and Edwards for another film. And this keeps Bella as like her own free agent in control of her own emotions and passions, her own destiny. And she's not just like blindly obsessed with Edward again. Ultimately she could still end up with Edward, but we see this moment of her being her own person and saying, you know what, you know, we've been through a lot in the last, what, three weeks of this movie or however long the timeline is. And maybe it is best that we, you know, this initial lust and romance has been, you know, a lot. And maybe it's best that we just go ahead and break up for now. And that makes it so much more, I think, compelling when Edward does come back into the picture later because they've had time apart to be their own people. 
And I think I think that would really help a lot. Yeah. Um, instead, what we got was what I think is by far the worst scene for her character, which is he tells her to go, and she just has like an absolute freak out fit where she's like, "No, like she I can't even get her words in I, order." I had to be with you. You always. I literally wrote the word obsessed much. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Her performance in that hospital bed is ridiculous. She's just yeah, kind of like, like some, fumbling some through her words. Or she, type shit. Yeah. It doesn't play as romantic or heartwarming or, you know, never let go, Jack. It never it doesn't play like that at all. It plays as Basically, this kind of she's like become as creepy stalker for him as he has seemed for her. So they're just like two yeah. obsessed stalkers obsessed for each other. Is that what this story mm-hmm. is about? It's definitely what it feels like at the end of this first film. But it's the only change we really see in her. Otherwise, her character is the same. She's still insecure. She's still ineffectual for the rest of her life. She she hasn't learned anything except she needs him. That is it. That is the only arc her character has. And that's why I ask, is she even... I don't know. The main character. Yeah. But I like you're, your... You're right. It almost works better if, if you switch that perspective. I, I, I liked your idea, though. Just, just to, to touch on that, that, that she... Yeah, it takes she she actually they they part. Look, she learns something mm-hmm. like that's a, we're talking about a character arc. She learns something that her compulsive, obsessive behavior with Edward not only wasn't healthy for her, but it damn near got her dad killed. It damn near got her mom killed. I mean, for all she knows, it could have gotten her her new friends at school that, again, we barely see. Um, we're just trusting that they're friends now. It, it would have been such a, a nice a cathartic moment for her character had she even even for you know the end of this movie and the beginning of the next one made the uh, the very mature decision to to not continue to endanger herself and everyone around her mm-hmm. i don't know yeah instead yeah nothing changes yeah i uh, well, let's um, unless you got anything else specific, let's uh, let's go ahead and move into pitches or or at least some some let's bullet points of of what we really think we could have done to fix this movie. OK, I've uh, I've got some good ones here. If you don't mind, I'd like to, to list mine out first. I'm excited. Give them to me. All right. So the first one and this is my favorite one. But you kind of touched on this, too, which uh, earlier, which shows how like you and I think alike. But I call it the detective story because, you know, I love detective stories. Ah, yes. I'm a big fan of those audience. Anyway, the detective story is Bella spends more time investigating Edward. As the daughter of a police chief, she's naturally curious. She first suspects Edward has powers. And so it's not going to be like she just sees it, but she sees something and she's like, he did something funky. Like not like with the car where it was obvious. Like she has to Uh really like like deep down like investigate that and then later as the murders start to become apparent she starts to connect she starts to think maybe he's the one doing the murders this was Uh what you said so as she gets close she kind of starts getting closer to edward who obviously still has his obsession for to learn more about him but in the process of that starts to fall for him and then later edward wants to help bella track down and stop the murder the actual murderous vampires for a couple reasons one she's a bit more of an adventurer she believes in doing good but two because her father's the police chief this is actually putting pressure on him being able to keep his job you know like he's not catching these killers these killers are getting around there's a lot of flat coming from the the small town people 
So there's, like, actual conflict. On the flip side of that, Romeo and Juliet style, Edward's family is not cool with him helping her look for the murderous vampires because if they find them, they accidentally expose them and then accidentally expose the Cullen family as well. So there's sort of like a, you know, conflicted, you know, feelings on this, which I thought is good. But then finally, the other thing I That also would help explain a lot of why... Edward, like he straight up gaslights her a couple times. Oh, yeah. Like she, you know, he saves her at one point and hits the car and she, he's like, what? That didn't happen. What are you talking about? Yeah. I was standing right next to you the whole time. And that would make that make so much more sense if, if we saw that he was getting pressured from his family mm-hmm. with, Which with her. And like, you know, was, she was getting, yeah. she was getting too close to the truth and you know, you need to stay away from that girl, but he also couldn't stay away from her. Yeah. It just, Keep going. I like this pitch. So so the last thing, and this is going to be like the newest thing. Everything else I feel like we can kind of use. What's so are there. these all different pitch, pitches or are you thinking these no, are all part of the same? Everything I'm saying is part of the same thing. So the last sure. bit of this detective story is that Bella's character, again, being more proactive, really likes to help people. Kind of gets that from her father being a police officer sort of thing. And in doing so, feels that now that she knows about Edward, his family, and their powers, that they're not doing enough. She wants to become a vampire, but she wants to become a vampire because she thinks she could do things to help use that power to help people. I love it. And and Edward's, like, totally against this, obviously, like he is. But there's a real argument there. Yeah. And so... And that could honestly... That could even still play into some of the later storylines in the books, because, you know, I don't know how much you remember, but the, the like old vampire guard shows up talking about how like they're living too in the open and whatever. And that would be an interesting moment for Bella to be like, like she's no, you know, you guys have this edge. great power. Yeah, that would be such a cool like moment for her. Another thing I like about this pitch, especially the detective part of it. And this is something I'd made a note about and forgot to mention earlier. So I'm glad you brought it back up again. But by making the, more of a mystery in that first, especially that first act of the film mm-hmm. and Edward B- being forced to be a little bit more of an absent character in the the narrative or on screen would allow some of these secondary characters, like all these friends that she's yeah, you know she made in school. Friends. She's not a pariah. In but school. we don't, but we don't see enough of them to really get that they're friends. And this strategy of, of her investigating, mm-hmm. it would give, you know, at least another one of her friends, like a chance to shine, to be in on this, to like help her investigate. Maybe, maybe she's, Jacob. maybe she's, maybe she's got a friend or Jacob. Yeah. I was just thinking like, Maybe Anna Kendrick's character, you know, she's always suspected that the the Cullens are something. They're they're vampires or something. And then when Bella, you know, having this new friend opens up and says what she thinks, she's like, I knew it, I knew it, and she kind of helps her mm-hmm. with the investigating. It just, you know, you set up these these secondary characters for us to not learn anything about them at all, other than like the surface stuff. Right. And I it, like this pitch. And, it and allows them truth. to kind of shine more. Audience, one thing you have to realize is Matt's pitching this because he always just wants more Anna Kendrick in movies. That is absolutely 100% correct. And I'm all for it, too, so we're, we're good there. Um, so that was that was pitch one. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit faster on the other ones because they're not as good. Uh, right, because that first one obviously knocked it right out of the park. Yeah. And if and when we get the chance to remake Twilight, that's our pitch. <laughs> yeah. That's how we're making it. So so the second one is, all right, so it's not about the murders. It's not about the detective story. It, let's make it a coming-of-age story. This is more about Bella 
there's got to be more meat to her character in the beginning. Like, she's got to be more upset that she moved to this small town. She's always just kind of like, meh, I suffer in silence. But what if she's like, no, sure. this is boring. I want to be in a place where it's happening, where it's banging, where there's adventure. And then she discovers in this small town are vampires. So there's actually a lot of adventure here. It kind of gives that whole, you can find adventure anywhere, you know, vibe, a little bit of a positive, you know, it's not about where you're at, it's about what you do with it, sort of thing. One might even say, adventure is out there, right? <laughs> right? Beautiful movie. <laughs> uh, points to whatever audience members knows that quote. And so what happens is, is she starts st- getting obsessed with the vampire culture, not just Edward. So she wants to know all about that. And her paying too much attention, her getting too invested basically draws the attention of other vampires like we talked about, and now she's in danger. Cut back to she's also put her family in danger, now there are consequences. We still diffuse the situation, but at the end of the movie, she's got to make a choice. Does she continue to pursue this adventure, or does she, with this newfound appreciation for her life that she just almost lost, it was almost taken from her, you know, not, and kind of calm things down. I mean, how she doesn't have to make the decision at the end of the movie, because it's going to be three more, but at least there's, you know, some sort of growth, and it's more, like I said, a coming-of-age story. But really what I, this I is... I like it. Yeah, but what this, what this movie was supposed to be about, and it's draw, and I need to pay attention to that, was the romance. It's all about the romance. So I'm like, okay, well, and let's do the romance, but let's just make it all about the romance and make the struggle sure. in the romance. The you know what, what could have been really interesting in this pitch is if the Cullens had more of a calling, if they they chose to live in this town to protect this town because mm-hmm. it was their turf, and maybe Bella coming under um, in, into danger, under fire, into danger by these roaming vampires is what causes Edward to become involved with her in the first place. And we mm-hmm. see at first it's, it's a protection thing. It's like, I'm protecting this town. She's being targeted because she smells like, you know, L'Oreal shampoo or something. <laughs> but, and then Cocoa we butter. see him slowly like falling for her mm-hmm. instead of this like instant, I guess they're in love now yeah, sort of thing. Well, Okay, so I, I even, mine's a little bit simpler. So the romance we see, we both agree, is a bad one. It's obsession. It's like all the yeah. things that are wrong with a romance, but it's being glorified. And this one, we do it the right way. You know, I mean, I even wrote here like, Belle is just a small town girl looking for love. And I just, I love that <laughs> because she wants somebody different. And so does Edward. But here's the thing. Their differences make their romance uh, difficult. I mean, that's already, yeah. the, the story is already there. Edward's family probably wouldn't approve. He's hundreds of, you know, he's got a hundred years on her. So that's, that's going to be weird. And he's also super trying not to eat her all the time. The amount of time yeah. they refer to her as food. I just, I, in the way he obsesses <laughs> over here, I thought of myself, I had, I, I, again, because I kept daydreaming whenever I could watching this film. I thought of myself having a deep, romantic, passionate relationship with an eclair. A chocolate eclair with Bavarian cream, and just how much I would just love that eclair because they just. Tony, I've had one before and it didn't end well. I don't recommend it. <laughs> right. Like the struggles I had, or like the struggles he's talking about. He doesn't want to eat his girlfriend. But in the meantime, Bella's got to have more character too. She's got to be insecure about this. She's got to feel like she doesn't measure up to the rest of his life. So she wants to be made a vampire, which Edward, again, is totally against because for Edward, it's miserable, right? I feel like you just came up with the the slogan for the movie poster version of the second pitch. The struggle is real. He doesn't want to eat his girlfriend. <laughs> uh, the the actual tag the tagline for this movie is when you live forever, what are you willing to die for? Which uh, doesn't really work. 
except for the fact that she hmm. says that line. So my fourth one, and, and this one I'm only mentioning because uh, the author actually did this too, is one where Edward's the main character. And there's an unfinished novel, apparently, by the author that is the first Twilight story, but from Edward's perspective. And in my opinion, if you're going to keep things the way they are as much as possible, this really needed to be a story told from Edward's perspective because he's the one who does stuff. He's the one who sure. is active in the story the most. And I think that would... I mean, well, I, and that, I don't that makes to... Bella the enigma. That makes Bella mm-hmm. the mystery and, and, for him. And, and she is a lot because he can't read her mind, so he doesn't know what she's thinking. That's new to him. Ooh, yeah. And, and that really every plays time, into that. Every time she, she reacts weird to things, and it just drives him nuts. He's like, I just told you about going into a house full of vampires, and you're worried about whether or not they'll like you. Like He's like, your priorities are whack, girl, and I'm digging it. But, you know, it's... Yeah, I, you're right. That's a much more, I think, interesting perspective on the film. I kind of wish I hate she had finished of, that. I would have. I, I would have read it. Mm-hmm. I think. I, I hate to get rid of another female lead. So my other theory is this: gender swap. So that's actually a thing. She wrote that. That's a. She wrote a gender swap version. That's cool. I mean, again, it's got to take. I think you it, still have to follow Bella, though. You have to follow the even if she's the vampire and Edward's just the boy. You still need to follow her at least for this first story because that's the only she. It's the only one doing anything is the vampire. Yeah, I agree. I think that's definitely better. Mm-hmm. But you, I think we 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 all both agree <laughs> that the the detective story is probably our favorite. But if we were to stick with the romance, we would want to show like an actual romance. That, that like, let's get rid of those murders. We we don't really need that. Uh-huh. That, that, yeah. that's that's world building I know it's setting up for the anthology of stories but you could have done that other ways sure but I think I think that the detective story works because it could actually still keep in Canon with her ultimate goal with these stories like if if we change the pitch to that first pitch of ours with the detective narrative, um, and the like kind of Romeo and Juliet seeing more of the Cullens mm-hmm. and their thing. It, it, it could have set up the, the next films in this franchise really, really nicely. And again, it would have given us more to opportunities with the secondary characters. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have, it would have just made Bella a more interesting character. You're right. You know, her dad's a, a small town cop. She's got some interest in solving a mystery. Mm-hmm. She's got some sort of interest. She doesn't in this movie. She has no interest. Just Edward. You know, you hear that she, when she was little, had an interest in dancing. Mm-hmm. But as far as we know, when she moves from Phoenix to Fork, Forks, Fork, Forks, Washington, mm-hmm. um, it's not like she comes and she's got, you know, she's still a dancer or she's into basketball or, you know, she's, she comes with, with nothing that she's a bit of a mopey teenager. And, and that was sort of why I didn't sure. keep going with the book. And I feel like I should have because maybe she has an arc in the book. But she in the first yeah. chapter, all she's doing is being a mopey teenager. And, you know, OK, that may be a way to start, but it, she doesn't really change much. She just finds a boy. And so now she's not as mopey. And, and that's yeah. not enough. I think whatever we do, she's got to be more than. Yeah, I think the bare bones are here in this movie, Mm -hmm. but everything needed better development. Mm -hmm. And I think I think we got it. And and ready to start production. You ready to start start production tomorrow on Twilight? The reimagining Twilight, the reimagining on it (laughs) all the way. (laughs) So, well, one of the things we should do is we should put it back to you, audience. Okay, you know, we're movie fixers over here, but you can be fellow MFers and, uh, you know, 
let us know what you think of this fix. Uh, I'd be really, really curious about that. Uh, Matt, I think we have some some uh, feedback because we, we sent out a notice, hey, we're going to be fixing Twilight. Tell us what you think of Twilight. Do we want to read some uh, some fan notes? Sure. All right. Audience notes. All right. So let's uh, let me let me pull those up. I've got them here. Clickety clickety click on my keyboard. All right, let's see. Well, our first uh, audience commentary here, our first note is from Nick Aducci. Love me some Nick Aducci. He's a good friend of ours. And just a quick side note is the one responsible for the really great artwork you're seeing on the MFers podcast. And Nick writes, well, my first question is, would swapping genre slash format into something else be acceptable? Or is the goal to try and do the same thing the original directors tried to do, but better? And Nick, I think this is a good question just overall for our podcast. We would like to stay as true to we can, as we can to the original director's idea, the genre, uh, but sometimes that just doesn't seem like it's going to work. So with Twilight, obviously what we've done is we've added a bit more of an investigative element. Yeah, I don't think there's any inherent problem with us tweaking the genre, but I think like with, the, with Twilight, the, with the primary genre being like a romance, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to... Just say like, well, we fixed your movie by removing the entire primary element of your movie. Like, that's you're right. That's not our goal. We want to try and maintain some semblance of the original genre. But I like the idea of we're adding in a mess, a mystery genre, mm-hmm. or you know, adding in sometimes an extra genre can just fix a movie. Right, and that's I think that's what we did with our version of uh, Twilight. Our fix. We still the romance is a key point. It's always going to be there. Uh, just to kind of follow up, Nick gave us a lot of a uh, lot of commentary, and I think that's great. I want to encourage everybody to uh, feel free to just write as much as you can. I may summarize in the podcast in the future, but we can keep this conversation going. Don't don't feel shy. So Nick just said to sum up my thoughts: I'm a dude. This movie probably wasn't made for me. So the prospect of watching a movie where a girl with little redeemable qualities or personality is fawned over by overpowered perfect men doesn't appeal to me that much. At least that was my impression of what the what he thinks a lot of people liked about it originally. So he thinks that making it better would revolve around making the main character more challenged and seeking out and connecting with her boyfriends. He does a little bit more in there, but I'm going to, again, go ahead and paraphrase. And Nick also admits that he hasn't actually watched Twilight. He's kind of garnering this from critics and stuff. And while we would like it if you've seen the movie, uh, you know, this is a new podcast. If you're kind of on the fence, tell us maybe why you didn't watch it. What was the impression you got from it? And that's okay, too. You're still allowed to chime in. But, uh, Matt, what do you think about Nick's thoughts? Do you think he's kind of in line with what we thought, or do you think he should I mean, I chance? think he's definitely hitting some of the same notes uh, we, we landed on. One of our biggest gripes with the movie was how little Bella had to do with her own narrative. You know, she she was constantly the, the, the one being saved. And he, he's right about that. You know, that part of the narrative is kind of unappealing. And I think that's something that you get from watching like a trailer that is definitely, in fact, true in the movie. So I think he's right there. I'm with you. I, I definitely... I want to I want to hear opinions from people that have seen it, but it also is interesting getting just kind of reactions from people, like first glances from people about what they think a movie is about. Whereas that may not always be true, you know. You and I have both seen where we see a trailer, both good and bad, and then what we end up seeing in the theater or at home 
is not what we it was not what was on the bill of purchase you know mm-hmm. so it, it is nice to to see those those reactions from people those those first reactions yeah and nick i think it's safe to say your your initial thoughts kind of ring true at least to us so and until they remake this movie with our fixes, maybe maybe hold off seeing it if you don't think that'll impress you. Uh, I don't but know. That, if you want to watch a bunch of vampires play baseball, I don't know. That's a good scene. You, you can, can find you, that on YouTube. You can YouTube that scene. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's go ahead and pull up our next comment. Clickety, clickety clack on the keyboard there. Burr, burr. <laughs> Sorry, you are out of comments. <laughs> yeah, it looks like that's it. Come on, guys. I know we're new, but... But participate. <laughs> it's, it's just Matt and I talking here, and Nick. Are we are we the only three audience members so far? Apparently, but that's fine, guys. We got one good comment on our first episode. Um, hopefully, we'll hear more comments from more of you guys going forward. Yeah. Uh, before we go, I think we should go ahead and announce our next film, so that if anybody wants to give us some feedback on it, uh, they've got the opportunity for to, uh, for them to do that. To give us comments. You want me to announce it? Yeah, well, this is one that you've seen and I haven't, so I think you should take point on this. So, I don't remember when this one came out. I'll have all this information before we record next time. Uh, A movie came out, I want to say last year, uh, starring Amy Schumer and Goldie Hawn, and some other people were in it. But those were the leads, and they played mother and daughter. The movie's called Snatched. Uh, The premise of the film This is not to be confused with the Guy Ritchie movie Snatch, which is amazing continue right we don't need to fix that one no we don't need to fix that one that one's fine there's nothing we can fix um in that. all the only thing we could fix in that is to burn in the caption so you can actually understand what everybody's saying <laughs> um but yeah so snatched starring goldie hahn amy schumer uh, i saw it uh like i said maybe a year ago with my husband and a friend of ours and it's funny it's a funny movie but i remember i remember vividly driving home from the theater And we just really talked out some things they could have done differently in that movie, specifically some like character relationships that really would have made the movie more enjoyable, given it it more like heft, you know. So I'm really excited for you to watch it and get your take on it. I'm excited to revisit the movie and try and remember what exactly was that I thought we could fix. And I'm sure we can do it. Cool. All right. Yeah, I think I think uh, we did it today. I think we fixed. Uh, we feel pretty confident that we fixed Twilight. So, I mean, wh- what can't we do? I think uh, right now I'm right. F- Tony, if we can high. fix Twilight, I mean, who knows the end of our abilities at this point? Yeah. Wow. I mean, you, you must be really impressed, audience. But uh, no, seriously, <laughs> I do want to thank everybody for uh, for listening to this podcast. If you actually listen to this podcast, this is something Matt and I do all the time. We have these conversations and just thought we should be recording these and sharing them with the world because that's a good thing, right? Yeah, I think I think at least three people will want to listen to this. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, let's. I want to go ahead and thank uh, our executive producers, uh, my wife Chrissy Faith, your husband Hayden Smith. They are the ones who support us and may, let us do all this goofy stuff for a living. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Very much. We like doing it, and they make it possible. Um, other credits include uh, the MFers, Matt and Tony. That's us. We did it. We did. We uh, we wrote and recorded and edited all of this that you've listened to, and we enjoyed every single moment of it. Most of it. And, yeah, that's it for credits right now. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you in our next episode for Snatched. 
And I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Twilight by the Movie Fixers. Thanks, guys. See you next time.